are listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Well, good morning. You guys doing well this morning? Awesome, awesome, awesome. You know, for a minute, I want to celebrate our students because we had an overnight here. It was Friday going to Saturday. We had over 80 students, but here's the part that I really want to celebrate. We had 15 kids make a decision to follow Jesus. So can we celebrate that? It was awesome. I, I was here. It was a whole lot of fun hanging out with the students. And I just love what God's doing through Greg and El- Evelyn and their team. So God's doing some really cool stuff here with our students. Now, here's why I bring them up, because as I was there with our students, the first thought went through my mind is I'm way too old to be here. That was the first thought. But then the second thought was, thank you. Somebody said, no, I appreciate you. Love you. Love you. Anyway, <laughs> but then here's the second thought that went through my mind is these teenagers are on a journey. They're trying to discover how to live a life and how to live life that makes sense, how to live a life of meaning. And that actually correlates with the book that we're studying, the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be at today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, or actually the entire book of Ecclesiastes, we meet a man that we believe to be Solomon. Solomon's on a journey. He's trying to discover life and life to the full, life of meaning. The only problem is somewhere along the way he gets some bad advice. Have any of you ever got some bad advice before? I have. Some of the bad advice that I got was somebody said, hey, Keith, the students would love to hear you rap at the overnighter. That's bad advice. (laughs) Have you ever taken advice and immediately you thought, oh, man, now I got some regret coming. That's me. That's what's going to happen for Solomon. That actually got me thinking back to a time when I actually got some bad advice. I remember I was living in Southern California. And while I was living in Southern California, I was living in North San Diego County. My brother came into L.A. He was there. He was working on his doctorate in education. So he said, hey, Keith, do you want to go to the Staples Center and let's go watch a game? I said, sure. So I get in my car and I'm driving. And while I'm driving, it's plugged into my, you know, charger there. But the battery's going down. Here's the bad advice that I got is don't pay attention to the battery going down. If it's plugged in, it's going to be okay. So I'm driving and I'm listening to music and I was either listening to Hillsong United or Bruno Mars. Well, it doesn't really matter. But the point of the matter is I'm listening to music and I'm about 10 minutes away from the Staples Center and all of a sudden my GPS goes dead. When my GPS goes dead, all of a sudden I get nervous and worried because I got lost in the hood. Have any of you ever got lost in the hood? It is scary. And I just imagine while I'm driving around and I'm, and I'm lost and my GPS is dead, I'm getting nervous and I'm getting afraid. And back in the day, I used to listen to this rapper by the name of Tupac, and he had a song called, Is There a Heaven for a G? Is There a Heaven for a Gangster? Now, for those of you who don't know who Tupac is or he was, he was a Christian rapper in the 90s. But anyway, here's the point. So, I'm... <laughs> everybody over for he's like... Really? Well, I didn't know that. Anyway, here's the point. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm driving, and, and I'm remembering that song, you know, as I'm driving through some of these areas that he talked about, and he's like, is there a heaven for a G? And I'm thinking, man, I'm about to find out because I'm about to die tonight. And so I'm driving, and I'll never forget, 
I drive into this super sketch gas station. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the day I meet Jesus. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I buy this charger, and then I wait. And then all of a sudden, my phone comes back on. And as soon as it comes back on, all of a sudden, my blood pressure goes down. I realize that I'm only about 10 minutes away from the Staples Center. I pull into the Staples Center. They were playing against, uh, I think they were playing against the, who was it? I think it was the Clippers. They lost by 50. And that's really not the point of the story. The point is that I made it safe. So can't we celebrate that I made it here alive? That's the, that's the exciting part. The reason I tell you that story is because I got some bad advice that I listened to. And I, and I guess I wonder, what's the advice that you're listening to about life? We all have these philosophies, these theories that we've heard about life, and sometimes they can be wrong. Here is this guy, the writer of Ecclesiastes, which we believe to be Solomon, who the advice that he gets is the best way to have life is make it all about you. Make life about everything that you want to desire and achieve. And yet, as he goes through that path, here's what he writes Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, listen to this, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He said, I started off with this plan, this, this, this concept that was going through my heart and my mind was that if I can get life and get everything I want out of life, then I'm going to be happy. But I tried this and it didn't work. Then I tried that and it didn't work. And I finally came to the conclusion that disconnected from God, it's all meaningless. If you actually wanted to study this book and understand this book, there's a key phrase that he's going to use all throughout the book is under the sun. Disconnected from God, it's all meaningless. So if you haven't been with us for this series, let me just give you some review. Let's run up to where we are in chapter 5. In chapter 1, he says, knowledge disconnected from knowing God, it's meaningless. It's one thing to know a lot of stuff, but if you don't know the one who created life, the one who gives you life, then it's all meaningless. The more knowledge often leads to more anxiety. In chapter 2, he talks about the meaninglessness of pleasure disconnected from restraint. Pleasure's good, but there is a stopping point. Because anything that you go after, that you long for, that you want— eventually it will bring you to a dark place. The, here's the, kind of the way I explain it. You guys go to the fair. Anybody like cotton candy at the fair? Cotton candy is great. You like cotton candy? Here you go, bro. You can have some. There you go. Um, cotton candy is one of those deals where it tastes good, but the more you eat it, it makes you sick. The more you eat it, the more it causes you to long for something more substantial. It doesn't satisfy. And that's what Solomon said. Pleasure without restraint. At some point, there's a stopping point. And here's what's true. If any of us who are addicted to any form of pleasure, there's a moment where we go after it. And we go after it. And there's something on the inside of us that says, I need to stop. But there's a point where we feel like we can't. And it's a trap. So Solomon talks about that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he talks about the idea of time management disconnected from what I call seasonal discernment. 
He says, there's one thing about managing time that's within your ability to manage, and then there's certain seasons that you've got to realize you're just in a season. And here's the truth about seasons is they come and go. You know, I remember growing up in church, and, and they used to have this little saying that the people who taught me the Bible, they would say, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. So when you understand the season that you're in, then you understand how to manage that in the correct way. Now in chapter 4, which is where we were last week, Solomon is going to talk to us about the disconnection of success, disconnected to what I call significant support. People around you to journey with you. He, he tells the story of a man who was so successful, but at some point, this man looks up and he says, why am I doing all of this? Where am I going in life? Now, here's what he's going to talk to us about in chapter 5. What he's going to talk to us about in chapter 5 is one that, for those of us who are church people, it is going to be a hard lesson to learn, but it's crucial for us to grow and mature in our walk with God. Now, let me just say this. When it comes to walking with God, I believe that everybody has a next step. If you've been going to this church for 40 years, you have a next step. If this is your very first weekend, I believe that you have a next step. Here's what he's going to talk to us about today. Is he's going to talk to us about the disconnection between talking to God, disconnected to listening to God. How do you pray? How do you pray? For a lot of us, our prayers go something like this. God, I need this. I need more time. I need more money. I need my wife to stop nagging me. If you're a man, do not say amen to that. <laughs> God, I need this in my life. And what we fail to do oftentimes is listen. Because if you listen clearly, sometimes you'll hear the voice of God saying, you think you need that. What you actually need is my presence. What you actually need is in this period of your life to grow, to stretch, to expand, to become more of what I'm calling you to. And so sometimes in our listening is the greatest opportunity for growth. But some of us would say prayer is not working, and it's not working because we're not working it correctly. See, prayer is a two-way communication. Here's how Solomon is going to define it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to start right there in verse 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than they offer the sacrifices of fools who do not know that they're doing wrong. Which, by the way, that is the definition of a fool, is somebody who does something wrong repeatedly and they have no idea why it's not working. It doesn't mean that they're bad people, they just don't know what they're doing. Now, if this is Solomon who writes this, we don't know for sure, but if this is Solomon who writes this, when he says, when you go to the house of God, he's talking about the temple, by the way, that he built. He said, when you go, don't just go to make a bunch of sacrifices, because here's the thought. Somebody who just makes a bunch of sacrifices, they think that the sacrifices makes them right with God, whereas there's a heart, there's a purpose behind the sacrifice. When you go to make your sacrifice, don't just go to be heard, go to hear. He says this in verse 2. He's basically going to repeat what he says. He says, do not be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words 
if you. Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you had a moment of silence alone in your own private quiet time? When you had a moment of silence. A, a, a few weeks ago, it was Memorial Day weekend, and we began that service with a moment of silence for those who had given the ultimate sacrifice for our country. But for most of us, we never have a moment of silence when we come to Scripture, when we come to read. We go to get what we want as opposed to listen to what God wants to say to us. And, and, and what I'm about to teach you today is not flashy. What I'm about to teach you today is not one of those things that you're going to go, oh man, that sermon, it was so amazing, which I kind of hope that you say that, but you don't have to. But here's what I'm going to teach you today. If you learn the discipline of silence and solitude, you're going to be a more spiritual person. We see that modeled in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn over to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to see a picture of Jesus that we are going to see all throughout his life. Jesus is busy. If you think you're busy, it is nothing compared to Jesus. Let me just give you one day in the life of Jesus. So if you started in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through roughly about 32, you see this day in the life of Jesus. And it would actually begin during the evening time on Friday night. See, for them, Sabbath, which was on Saturday, it started in the nighttime, and then it carried on to the next day. When Jesus would have got up on Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to roughly around, you know, 11 or 12, he would have been teaching in the synagogue. That's the first thing that we see Jesus doing, teaching in the synagogue. Then after that, the next thing we're going to see Jesus doing is casting out a demon. Now, I don't know the last time you were around a lot of demon-possessed people, but that's a overwhelming, exhausting thing to be involved with. The next thing that we're going to see Jesus doing is we're going to see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Now, there are some scholars believe that this is why Jesus, while Peter is going to later deny Jesus because he healed his mother-in-law, but we'll never know if that's 100% accurate. Anyway, which by the way, my mother-in-law is here. I'm not talking about you, Tina. I love you. You're amazing. Anyway, but here's the point. Here's the point. So he's going to heal his mother-in-law. Then the next thing that we see Jesus doing is healing the sick and ministering to more demon-possessed people. Here, here's how Mark is going to conclude this day in the life of Jesus. It says that evening— after sunset, the people brought to Jesus, look, listen, all the sick and the demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. He's popular. I mean, sick person after sick person after sick person after sick person. Some of you work in the medical field, and you know how exhausting and overwhelming this can be, especially if you work in ER. It says this, Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons and would not allow them to speak because they knew who he was. Jesus is busy. He gets up early that morning and he teaches, and then he ministers to healing. He does a house visit, and then after doing a house visit, then the whole town gathers because he's a hero. I mean, I mean, imagine a guy who can, in one word, heal you of your sickness, of your cancer, of your depression, of your loneliness, of your fear. Jesus is the kind of guy, if I can get an appointment with him, I would. So, 
you would then assume that because of this, then the next day Jesus would take a day off. Jesus would flinch on Netflix. He would chill. He would do holy yoga. But no. Here's what it says in verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I, I like to say this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this statement. The destiny of your day begins with what you do in the dark. I'll say that one more time. The destiny of your day begins with what you do with the dark. While it's still dark. Before the crowds show up again, before he has another crusade, before they want to televise him, before they want to put him on YouTube, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to get up and he's going to intentionally go to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's what most of us do. And maybe this happened to you this morning. You woke up in a bad mood. You woke up and there was just kind of like, oh my gosh. Oh, I got so much to do. Most of us have what we call morning, Monday morning dread. We feel this pressure and this weight. And so we wake up in this negative dark place and we allow those negative dark emotions to carry us throughout our day. Jesus had that option, but he chose not to. And I want you to notice he went to a solitary place. He went to a solitary place because everybody wants a piece of a guy who can do miracles. Everybody wants the peace of a guy who they've been saying is the Messiah. But Jesus goes and he gets alone. And I imagine he talks to his father and he listens. And he reminds himself of who he is. And I think he hears the whisper of his father reminding him of who he is. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. If you were to study Matthew's gospel, what Matthew would have told you is that a little bit before this, Jesus would have gotten baptized. And before Jesus does any miracles, when he comes up out of the water, the Father will say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he does any miracles. And now he's done miracles. Now he's taught the masses. And I imagine in this moment, people are saying you're great because of what you did. And he's reminded when he's in a place of solitude, he is good because of who he is. He, he gets some clarity in this moment of, of quietness and silence before God. Now I want you to see what's going to happen later. This is in verse 36. It says, Simon and his companions went out to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there, for that is why I've come. So I need you to see this with me. So Jesus gets up early. He sneaks off. He's praying. He's listening. He's getting clarity. He's getting this moment with God. And then all of a sudden, he goes out, and Simon finds him. Simon's like, Jesus, where you been? Oh, my gosh. Everybody loves you. People got Jesus T-shirts, and, and they got Jesus WDJD bracelets, and, and people are just so in love with you. They got you on YouTube. They even got a chance. Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can go. Jesus. That's my J. You guys see my J there? Anyway, here's the point. You are amazing. Build your platform here. You're a celebrity. And Jesus says, no, I'm not. In my time of silence and solitude, 
If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this statement. Here's the first thing that would happen when you start learning how to practice silence and solitude is it will produce clarity in your life. Silence and solitude produces clarity. The last church I worked at, I had a mentor by the name of Dave. Dave was one of the most gifted leaders that I know. But one principle Dave taught me, who was a person who was on a stage a lot, is he said, Keith, if you're going to be successful in the long term in ministry, you have to learn how to kill celebrity. Because here's what's true. If you don't kill celebrity, celebrity will kill you. When you let people make you out to be more than what you are, and that's what happens when you live by the demands of other people instead of being directed by a sense of purpose, clarity, and mission in your heart. If you don't kill celebrity, celebrity will kill you. And Jesus is just going to get that clarity. And so Simon says, stop here. Jesus says, I got to keep on moving because when I was in my time of silence and solitude, I understood the urgency of my mission. I got to go to other places. I know why I've come. Let me just tell you why some of you are so confused right now, why some of you are so stressed out right now. It's because you don't have clarity in your life. And you don't have clarity in your life because you're living by the expectations of other people. But if you took time to be silent, if you took time to listen, to read Scripture, and let Scripture read you, I'll say that one more time. If you took time to read Scripture and allow it to read you, to speak to you, to clearly direct you, what you would have is a sense of clarity of where to go and what to do, but you don't have that because you're living by the expectations of other people. But when you learn how to get into silence and solitude and connect with God, clarity will come in your life. Here's the second thing that I see in the life of Jesus is not only does silence and solitude produce clarity, it also produces confidence. Confidence. To go to the next thing because he knew who he was. The same is true. And, and I basically said it before, if you don't have confidence, most likely the reason you don't have confidence is because you don't have clarity. And when you don't have clarity, what you end up doing is you end up falling into something called the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome means I'm going to just keep on faking it because I want people to believe that I got it. But when you got clarity in who you are, there's a boldness and there's a confidence. And listen to me, there's a confidence to say no. Because you don't need outward affirmation to validate who you know you already are. But for so many of us, we just live listening to, what do you think I should do? I don't know. What do you think I should do? And we just go, 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 go. And so we're kind of like a, a, a swivel, our head's on a swivel, and we're just going back and forth and into this and out of that, and we go to this job and we go to that, and we don't have any clarity because we don't have the ability to be alone and silent. Hear God remind us of who we are. I would go so far to say, I would imagine that somebody in this room is working a job that you hate, but you don't want to quit it because you don't have any confidence that you can find something better, and it's because you don't have clarity. Throughout my life, God has called me several times to take huge steps of faith, to trust Him in big ways. And I have to tell you, every time that God has spoken to me, it's come from a time of silence and solitude. And the times in my life 
when I've been the most stressed, the most overwhelmed, is because I'm living according to the expectations of somebody else. I'm living driven, not by purpose, not by who I am. I'm living according to somebody else's job description that they've already laid out for me. You know, I like to say it like this. God loves you, and everybody you meet has a plan for your life. God loves you, and everybody you meet has a plan for your life. Everybody, everybody has expectations of how you should dress, how you should act, how you should think. And if you live by that, you're going to always be in a place of insecurity. But Jesus, he had such confidence because he knew who he was. If you went to Mark 1.27, I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can look at it in your Bible. The Bible says that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority. See, the other scholars would, the other scribes would teach like this. They would say, you've heard it said, so that's what we're going to say. But Jesus, when he would stand up, he would say, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. He had a boldness, he had authority, because he knew that what he had was directly from God. You know, this past week I was reading a book called Leading on Empty by a pastor by the name of Wayne Cadero. Wayne Cadero had the curse of success. Now, some of you are like, the curse of success, I want that. But you don't. Because here's what he describes. He, he describes planting a church in Hawaii, which is a call that I would love to take up. Like, Jesus, wherever you are, send me. I'd love to go to Hawaii. But anyway, point of the matter is he's in Hawaii. He plants a church that grows to thousands, over 10,000 people. Then he starts a Bible college that then has thousands of people. Then he starts a church planting network, and every he touches is growing like wildfire. And he said, at one point, I started hating what I was doing because I moved from living out of my purpose and living out of the leadership gift that God called me to just managing my image. Just saying yes. When in my heart, I knew I should have said no because I lost sight of who I was. So here's what he said. He said, he, he remembers one day he's running and while he's running, trying to keep all the plates spinning, he finds himself on the side of the road weeping as a grown man. He said, when I got to that point, I knew that there was something broken in me. So I went to see a counselor. I, I, I talked to some of my mentors. He said, what I did was I checked into a monastery. And for a week, no cell phones, no internet, no people calling and needing me, just me alone with my own thoughts and alone with God. And he said, I would journal, I would pray, I, I, I would listen. And he said, it was almost like coming down off of adrenaline was like a drug addict coming down off of a, a high, a rush. And he said, I felt kind of naked and uncomfortable, but I knew I was right where I needed to be. And I was reminded I'm a son that I belong to God, that if I never preach another message, if I never build another thing, that I know who I am. And he said, I walked out of there with not just a to-do list, a stop-doing list. One of the greatest things that could ever come out for many of you from silence and solitude is a stop-doing list. Because you're learning to live with your limitations and you see them as beautiful. And Wayne Cordero is a healthier person today because he learned the art of silence and solitude. Which then leads me to the last thing that we're going to see in the life of Jesus is it produced a greater competency, a, a greater effectiveness in what he was doing. 
In verse 45, here's what's going to happen. So the background of verse 45 is this, is that there's a guy who has leprosy who comes to Jesus. And this guy with leprosy is not supposed to even be in the city because he has, according to the Jewish law, one of the 65 defilements that would not even allow you to be in the presence of other people because it was so deadly and contagious. Leprosy would would happen when you start having these little white spots that would start to break out over your skin, and then it would start to turn into this thing where literally your body would eat itself from the outside in it and your bones would fall off. Here's a man who has that, and he sees Jesus. He calls out to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything, please make me clean. And Jesus is going to do something that everybody in Jesus' day would have, when he would have done it, they would have been This man who wants to be clean, Jesus is going to touch the man, and he's going to make him clean. But instead of Jesus getting infected, he reverses the flow. The power flows through him, and he heals the man. And Jesus knew that this would cause a stir and a riot, so he tells the man, listen, whatever you do, don't tell anybody what I did. And the guy does the exact opposite. He says, listen, you got to find this guy who can heal even leprosy. And in verse 45, it says, Jesus was so effective and successful, that he would go to the lonely places, but people would still follow him. And and then all came out of him listening, connecting with God, moving in God's power. Here's what I found in my life. When I'm obedient to God, and oftentimes my obedience comes out of those times where God gives me just a whisper, he'll cause me to take risks, big risks, huge risks. And oftentimes people say, Keith, how did you know that was going to happen? And honestly, if I'm being truthful, I'm going, I have no idea how I knew. I just had a sense from God. Tell you one last one, be done. So my first Sunday here is Easter Sunday. And we had several services on Sunday, and then we had one on Thursday. Our very first one on Thursday night, right before service started, the lights go out, dark, no power in the building. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and people start coming to me, and and they start saying, hey, pastor, what should we do? There's no power in the building. And they're looking at me, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do in this moment. And then, I'll never forget, this lady said, hey, we should pray. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. We probably should do that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, let's let's pray. So, So we pray, and this thought hits me. I said, okay. We should wait until roughly about 5.50. The, the service started about 6.30, give enough people time. Let's wait till 5.50, and we'll see. So time is going, time is going. And at 5.47, all of a sudden the lights come back on. And people are looking at me like I'm a prophet, and I'm like, I was just, oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even know how that worked. And I was just so happy because what happened was in that moment of pressure— I just got a little sense, and I got a little sense because I decided to just kind of stop, pause, and let God do something. So let me give you three suggestions on how to start to build this practice in in your life. Here's the first thing I would encourage you to do is schedule it in your calendar. Schedule it in your calendar. If you don't make a priority of it, it won't happen. Here's the second thing I would encourage you to do is just stop. Stop. 
choose to slow down the pace of your life. And honestly, if you have a lot of stress right now, the last thing you want to do is stop. And the last thing people are telling you to do is stop. But the most important thing for you to do is to stop. Anytime I have a hard decision to make, people always come to me, we got to make a decision. And here's what I want to know. How long do I have to make this decision? Because what I need to do is stop. Think, pray, reflect. Here's the last thing I would encourage you to do. is to practice silence. Practice it. If you've never done the silence and solitude thing, I promise you it is uncomfortable when you start doing it. Because we're not used to it. it. It feels uncomfortable. But the more you learn how to practice silence, what will start to happen is a calmness will start coming in your life. A better decision-making ability will start coming in your life if you'll learn how to practice silence. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I'm about to do something right now that for some of you is going to be uncomfortable. For some of you, it's going to be awkward. But for many of you, it's going to lead you to a place of peace. Is in a moment, we're going to sing one last song. And normally in between the time that I go down and we sing our last song, we have some kind of music behind me, which is kind of a signal for some of you like, oh, thank God he's almost done. He's going long today. Oh my, the lines are playing, which... Who cares? Anyway, but the point of the matter is there's normally kind of some music behind me, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just about a minute of silence as you think about what your next step is. And I promise you, for some of you, it's going to be uncomfortable, but for many of you, it's going to be the beginning of learning how to develop this discipline of silence and solitude. So I want to invite you to do that now. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.